this morning. Come pray with me before we dive into Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20 this morning. Lord, we long to be witnesses to the reality that you are not in the grave, but that you are present and that you offer each and every person new life. And so this morning, as we spend time listening to you, would you teach us not just about you, but to become like you? We pray this in Jesus' name and for his kingdom's sake this morning. Amen. Friends, come with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20, and we're going to hear the text read in just a few minutes. But what I'd like to do is tell you a definition of what it means to be a witness. You see, a witness has knowledge of an event from a personal observation or experience. We've all seen signposts around the city. Maybe we're driving somewhere or walking down the road, and we've seen a sign on a pole. Witnesses needed. Somebody who has seen something occur. I had a friend once who, while I was teaching about what it means to be a witness, said, have you ever thought of just phoning a number just for fun and saying, I'll be a witness, even though you haven't seen something? Well, we all had a good laugh because we know that that's not reality. You can't witness something if you've never seen or experienced the event or the person. Luke in his rendition of the gospel, talks about the fact that we will be witnesses. In fact, at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, he says that Jesus in his final word says, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Well, you know, we're in this series on witnesses. We've looked already at witnesses in Luke's gospel on the road to Emmaus, or we've been in John and talked about Mary, or the, uh, the 11 in the upper room who were sent by Jesus. You remember Devin talked about Thomas and um, Thomas who said, I won't believe unless I see him for myself. Or John uh, also talked about Peter. And Peter went back to the fishing boats that he knew because he was so discouraged about what he'd done. Well, this morning we come into Matthew's story, Matthew's gospel. And in chapter 28, verses 16, to 20, we hear the 11, we see the 11, we get put into the story of the 11 hearing the final words of Jesus. There's a difference between the Gospels. Luke and John, their Gospels tend to be a bit longer. They go into more detail about Jesus' appearances after his resurrection. But Matthew's brief, straight to the point, and what he wants to communicate to us as he was communicating to the readers back then is Matthew is communicating what it means to be a disciple all the way through his gospel. That's what he's talking about. Well, this passage in Matthew chapter 28 needs to be preached on uh, at least yearly. And you've heard me preach on it before. And so I come to it again today. Uh, it's the same text, and so there are going to be some of the same points. But I've come at it from a bit of a different angle today. And I want us to hear what God is saying to us in the midst of this text. And so I've invited three people to read three different translations of the story. And what I'd love for you to do is as you hear first Sophia reading in the message, then Devin reading in the complete Jerusalem Bible before I finish in the NAV, listen to the text 
and see where the spirit of God stops you. Maybe a word, a phrase, and put that in the chat as I preach this morning. Uh, put in the chat the word, the question, the phrase that catches your attention. So Sophia, come and read for us Matthew 28 out of the message. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain. Jesus had set, set for them, set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, Jesus un, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God author, authorized, authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. So the 11 Talmudim went to the hill in the Galil where Yeshua had told them to go. When they saw him, they prostrated themselves before him, but some hesitated. Yeshua came and talked with them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into Talmudim, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always. Yes, even until the end of the age. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, I want to take a few minutes this morning and reflect on some of the things that caught my attention. And I can see already that some of the things that caught your attention as we were reading, feel free to keep putting your notes in the chat as we go. It's just one way of keeping engaged with what God is saying to us this morning. There are two moves in this text. And so I want to talk about come and see that happens in the first couple of verses and then go and make the instructions from Jesus to his disciples in the second part. So come with me into the first few verses in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 and 17. You remember this is written by Matthew. And I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago before Lent, when we were in the encounter series, that Matthew meets Jesus. Oh, it's that scene where Jesus is uh, with some of his other disciples and he comes to a tax collector's booth, Levi's booth. Levi was another name for Matthew. Uh, tax collectors weren't looked on very highly, were they? And so what happens when Levi gets invited by Jesus to come and follow him, he leaves everything behind. He leaves his everything that gave him value, gave him wealth. And what does he do? He invites all of his friends to a party to come and meet Jesus. Well, 
Matthew in chapter 28 tells the gospel story of the resurrection in just some few words. It's brief. The resurrected Jesus meets the women in chapter 28 early on. And by verse 10, Jesus is instructing the women to go back and to tell the men, tell his 11 disciples to go and meet him in Galilee, back where they started. You see, the important piece for Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, the one whose life has been totally transformed, is to catch the importance of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The whole book, from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 28, verse 18, everything has led up to this point. Here's what Jesus is inviting the disciples to do. Well, what grabs our attention? Here's the first. The 11, the 11. So it says right here in verse 16 that, that the 11 went. See, Judas was gone. Uh, he was a man like all the others. He longed to see the coming of the Messiah. But Judas had taken things into his own hands. He wanted to do it his way. He'd not been acting in the way that, uh, Jesus had not been acting in the way that thought Judas thought he would you know, get results. So Judas takes over and he, he, he realizes the extent of his error when he sees Jesus being led away. And he couldn't live with the consequences of what he's done. And so he hangs himself. Friends, we've got to beware. Hear this. We've got to beware. We must never take things into our own hands, but we must follow Jesus in his way in every area of our lives. It says in the text that the 11 went they went to the place where Jesus had invited them to go. 75 miles they go. That's not short. In fact, I did a little bit of math. And if you were starting at the Vancouver International Airport and decided to walk to Chilliwack, you'd have to go just past Chilliwack in order to walk that 75 miles. You don't do that in a day. This happened two days, likely three, that it would take in order for them to get there. But, but what, why did they go? Well, first he told them to. He'd given instructions a little earlier and then again to the women. He'd said, remind them to go where I'd invited them to go. Can you imagine? You're one of the disciples in the, in the upper room. The women come back from the tomb and they've said, look, here's the story. Here's what's happened. Jesus wants you to go off to Galilee. 75 miles. That's a, that's a long way to go. And what if, what if he's not there? What if we heard him incorrectly? But they stepped out in faith. They stepped out and they followed the prompting. They followed what they had heard and put it into obedience. I don't know if you ever get those promptings from the Spirit. I, I know it's not an exact science, but I can't help but wonder if there aren't times when when we hear something or when we believe we ought to do something from God or we see it written in the scriptures and we, we hesitate and we stop and we go, that's going to cost too much. And what if it's not true or when I get there, I don't see him. So they went because he told them to, but there's another reason why they went. They went because they had this longing inside of them. They wanted to see Jesus. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Gospel of John, and we saw that on the very first day, that day of the resurrection, after Jesus had met with Mary outside the tomb, he meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, 
That's in Luke. And then by the time we get into the Gospel of John, even on that first day, he's meeting with the disciples back in the upper room. Now, how does Matthew's story fit with John's story? Well, don't try. And that's not because the Bible contradicts itself. It's because Matthew and John are telling the story for two different reasons and in two different ways. So it's not necessarily true that the disciples hadn't already seen Jesus, but you remember that he only appeared to them on occasion. So maybe they've seen him once already, and they're wondering if they're going to get to see him again. And then the women say, well, he told you to go to Galilee. He'll be there. So will they step out? Will they take that step of faith? Well, they wanted to see him. They were desperate to see him. They had such a desire. So I wonder. I wonder if there's ever been something or someone in our lives that we wanted to see so badly that we would do almost anything to make it happen. Is that true for you? Has there been someone in your life or something that you wanted so badly to see that you would do almost anything to make it happen? It's back in 2014. Uh, Matthew was just graduating from high school. It feels like yesterday. It's already seven years ago. And he had asked if I would take him to the World Cup in Italy. And long story short, we went. One of the games that we wanted to see was England. Of course, the history of my family and where Shelley's from versus Italy. In order to get to that game, you had to go up into the Amazon River Valley. And um, on the day of that game, we didn't have tickets. I remember we turned the world upside down. I turned the world upside down to be able to get to that game. We left the Amazon River Basin. We got to the stadium. We had gone to the airport to check in our bags. We found a way to get some tickets, which was like unbelievable. And then the story could go on. I could tell the story for half an hour, but it was like one unbelievable thing after another, after another, after another. I was not going to be defeated. I wanted to take my son to that game. As I was preparing for talking with you this morning, I remembered the story. I remembered all the things that I'd done to make that happen. And then I heard the question inside that I've just asked you, why? Why would I not go at least to those lengths to be in the presence of Jesus? Why do I have so much struggle to have this level of passion, desire, and determination to go and meet with Jesus? That's what the disciples had. They wanted to see Jesus, and so they were obedient, even to the point of walking 75 miles at the hopes of seeing him. Well, there's another thing that catches my attention. Probably caught yours too. It says when they got there, they saw him. You see, they had obeyed. They put themselves into a place where they had the opportunity to see him. I, I believe this wholeheartedly, Southside. When we obey, we put ourselves in the place to see Jesus. Now follow the line of thinking. When we don't obey, we won't see him. In fact, I think when we 
consciously choose to disobey or to do our own thing or to not follow the instructions of Jesus, we are putting ourselves in a terrible place, a place where he is not present. But they obeyed and they went. And when they went, they saw him or they became witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. It's why we ask the question of each other over and over and over again. Where have you seen Jesus? It's why we have practices that we're engaged in so that we pay attention to the presence of Jesus. We pay attention to the voice of Jesus. It says in the text that they worshipped him. See, the only response, the only response that we are designed to give when we see Jesus, when we experience his presence. Did you catch this in the complete Jerusalem Bible that Devin read is to prostrate ourselves and worship. Oh, not get the emotional buzz when everybody sings our favorite songs. That's not necessarily worship. Worship is the complete honoring, bringing ourselves before him, recognizing his presence because we've obeyed. And I can't help but ask us the question, what, why do we sometimes feel like we're not, like we don't want to worship? Why is it that sometimes it's hard for us to engage in worship? And I know Zoom makes it more difficult, but I can't help but think that sometimes, sometimes it's hard to worship because we've not seen Jesus, because the natural response of human beings when they see Jesus is to worship. Did you catch that line, but some doubted? I hope you heard Devin's translation. You see, doubted doesn't just mean, oh, that can't be true. No, doubted can mean hesitation. I hesitate. Wow, is this really happening? You know, there are some people that just rush into stuff, right? That's their personality. They can't help but just fling themselves into something. And then there's others. It's not that they doubt whether it's possible or whether it's real. There's just a, there's a holding back. It's like a footbridge. You know, you come to a footbridge out in the middle of a hike or something, and, and some people just fly across it. They don't even give it another thought. They probably should at times. And then there's the rest of us that kind of think, oh, boy, I, I think it can hold me, but I, I'm not quite sure. Is this... And you know what I love in this passage? What does Matthew say? Verse 18, and Jesus came to them. See, even for those, they had come 75 miles. They'd obeyed. They put themselves in a place to see Jesus. They were a little hesitant. But it says that Jesus came to them. Well, come with me in a few minutes that are left. Let's talk about the second move. We go and make, not only do we come and see and we put ourselves in that place to experience Jesus, but then we begin to hear his words, the final words of Jesus that Matthew records. We see our attention being grabbed by this phrase right at the beginning there, verse 18, as Jesus begins to speak and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Friends, I think he's partially talking to Satan. I think Jesus is standing at the top of the mountain, hands raised, all authority 
in heaven and on earth. You, you can't help but go back to Matthew chapter 4. You can't help but in your mind see that other scene where Jesus is tempted by Satan to take authority. That Satan would give it to him if he would just worship Satan. And Jesus says, no, I'm not doing that. But he's also speaking to the disciples. He's saying, look, here's what's happened. You can put your confidence in me. So what is authority? person or organization having power or control in a particular typically political or administrative sphere. Okay, that's Webster. What Dallas Willard says is, it's where God, it's the place where God, what God wants done gets done. That's what the kingdom of God is like. See, Jesus had resisted the temptation to worship and, and to take pseudo authority, take the shortcut. And in his death and resurrection, there was victory. In his death, he defeated. He defeated death. What does this mean that we won't die physically? Of course we will. But he's referring back to the penalty that we all received in the Garden of Eden. That penalty when Adam and Eve sinned. They went their own way. They did their own thing. They took things into their own hand, hands. And what happened is they were cast out of God's presence. Jesus comes along and he says, all authority is mine and I can lead you back into my father's presence for Jesus was made to be the king and his kingdom established. Well, here's another one. Attention grabber number four. Jesus says, because all authority has been given to me, I'm instructing you now, go make disciples. And one thing you need to know about the text here, though, is this. The imperative, the instruction is not to go, for actually the word when properly interpreted, it, it, it's as you have gone. It's not, okay, you might go in the future. It's after you've gone or assuming that you're in the process of going. That, that part's not optional. We need to hear that actually. See, to go gives me an option of I may or I may not, but Jesus is saying, look, you already know this as you're going or after you've gone and you're there and here comes the instruction, here comes the commissioning, you're to make Talmudim. Did you catch that in Devon's translation? Of course, it's the Hebrew word for disciple, but it's a specific kind of disciple. You see a Talmudim, and here's one of the things that I take, uh, that I think was wrong in that video that we watched just before I came on to speak. A student wants to know about what the rabbi knew, but a disciple wanted to be who their rabbi was. There's the difference. A student wanted to know what a rabbi knew. A disciple, or when understood properly, a Talmudim, they wanted to be who their rabbi was. I am so afraid that we in the West have watered down this language. We've reduced the word disciple to, at worst, being friends that occasionally talk about God over a cup of coffee. And at best, being those who know about God. See, friends, we've got to either recover the purpose of the word disciple or get another word. And when Matthew uses the word Talmudim, he's concerned deeply that we don't water it down. We don't settle for making students. 
So let me speak to us for a minute about this word Talmudim, or at least the concept behind the word. Nobody uses the word now. What if it's true that we've watered down what discipleship's all about? What if we've begun to settle for what's easiest and not what God called us to? Lately, I have been feeling the urgency. I don't know whether this is just something going on in me or whether this is a spirit. I think if it's a spirit, we'll hear it from other sources as well. We will never grow as a church. We will never grow through neat programs, clever gimmicks, or even new buildings. Unless we are prepared to become disciples and to make disciples. And I think three things need to shift in us starting now. It won't be easy. It'll be a lot of work. First, discipleship is not casual. It's intentional. It's not just a cup of coffee where, okay, occasionally we might talk about God. No, it's assessing where we're at in our journey of becoming like Jesus identifying where we need to grow, and then making a plan to be intentional about becoming like him. Second, it's the reality that instead of just doing random things and hoping we're getting there, we become structured. What's the saying? When you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Every one of us, every one of us, needs to find someone who is more mature than they are. Someone in the mission group who can lead us, not just to know about Jesus, to, but to become like Jesus. We need to help each other out. We need to help each other with study guides. We need to help each other with other resources so that in all of our five values, they're all geared to this one thing. Not that we know about Jesus and just do random things but that we become like him. Well, I've already given you the third thing that I think. Casual to intentional, random to structured, and all of us are involved from curious to covenant. This is not for just those who are really committed. This is for everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Well, Jesus commissioned his disciples. These are the last words that Matthew records. Ray Vanderlaan, who's a teacher and travels with so many groups to Israel all the time. He knows the Israeli or the Jewish culture inside and out. When he, when Vanderlaan was asked about a Talmudim, here's what he said. When the teacher believed that his Talmudim were prepared to be like him, he would commission them to become disciple makers. He was saying, as far as is possible you are like me. Now go and seek others who will imitate you because you are like me. When they imitate you, they will be like me. So what two things do we do? Let's pay attention to these two things this morning. Jesus says, baptize them. And I don't know if you caught what Devin's translation said, but says immersing them into the reality. You see, when we're immersed in baptism, we identify with God and his people. The Jews knew what baptism was all about. They had this thing called a mikvah. It was a pool for ritual cleaning. 
immersion into the life of Judaism. When we are baptized, we are immersed into the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We get adopted into that community. We're born again, born into a family. And it was understood that a real disciple, a Talmudim, they understood that that spiritual family was first. There was a new reality for them. That's why they began to speak of others as the spiritual father or the spiritual mother in their life. They were born into a new way of life. They were included in the kingdom. Baptism is such an essential part to our Christian journey. We must consider why Jesus was so adamant that when we go to make disciples, not just casual Christians, but disciples, they are to be baptized. And then he said, secondly, teaching them to obey. Well, friends, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that we've just stopped with the first part, teaching them, teaching them about. No, Jesus said, teaching them to obey. You see, for a, for a Jew elementary school, ages six through 10, they would go to school that was called House of the Book. There they would memorize the Torah. After, after elementary school, they'd go off to high school, House of Learning. And there they'd memorize the rest of the Old Testament. And most kids at that point, that was it. No more future education. But some would be chosen by a rabbi. A rabbi who was convinced that, that this student would be able to follow them and to become like them. And so for any student past age 14 who was chosen by a rabbi, the goal was not the memorization of scripture. The goal was not knowing facts about God. The goal was becoming like the rabbi. Well, come with me to the last thing that grabs my attention and a number of yours as well. Jesus says right at the end, and I will be with you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. Friends, is there a greater promise? Is there a greater promise in all of scripture that we need to cling on to? Perhaps you've heard me tell the story of Matthew when he was just young. He might have been nine years old, somewhere in there. It was one summer night. Uh, the sun was obviously uh, stayed up longer than, than in the winter, like it does now. I think it was probably somewhere around 8 or 8.30 that I began to say to Matt, Matt, you've left a whole bunch of toys out in the front yard. Could you go clean them up before you go to bed? Another 15 minutes later, nothing had happened. Asked him again, nothing. Another 15 minutes later, nothing. And I started to get a little bit angry with him. And I remember saying to him, Matt, this is the third time that I've told you, I want you to go out in the front and clean up because it's time to go to bed. He burst into tears and he said, Dad, I'm afraid. I'm afraid because there was a bear outside earlier and I don't know when it's coming back. Now, who believes their kid when they say there's a bear in your front yard and I don't want to go outside? So I think Matt went to bed and I went outside to clean up the toys. And as I was outside, I met the neighbor who said, oh, 
cleaning up all the things before you finish the day, huh? I said, yes, this was Matthew's job. He was supposed to do it. And he told me some crazy story, like there was a bear out here, to which the neighbor said, oh, didn't you see it? The other day, there was a bear right in your front yard. Huh. Matt just wanted his dad's presence. Life is tough enough, but, you know, to think about going to do a task, do, do a job that you've been asked to do when, when there's so much stuff there. God gets it. We live in a world that has pushed us away. We live in a world that's tough sometimes. But Jesus promised us that he would always be present and that we could rely on him. And in the same way as we have seen him do miracles, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, in the same way that we've heard him teach. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus will be present with us so that when he sends us, when we go, when we go to make disciples, not casual Christians, we will know his presence and his power always. Let me pray and we'll continue with our gathering. Father, thanks so much for this incredible invitation to join with you on mission. Lord Jesus, do not let us get away any longer with being casual Christians, but instead, would you challenge us to become Talmudim and to go and make Talmudim? not settling for anything less, not because it's up to us, but because that's what you've invited us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the kingdom's sake. Amen.